Parsha in my class, live class, about to begin. Anybody that wants to sponsor tonight's class, it wasn't dedicated yet. It's yours to sponsor. Bezos Hashem, let me know. You can do it after the class. Uh, for whoever it is that you want the shear dedicated to. Okay. So today is going to be a different kind of a class. It's Parsha's Veschanon. It's Parsha in my life. Usually we take a concept, an idea, and I explain the concept and idea. Usually it's taken from um, Chabad Hasidus. So it's usually like a, a one thought, one idea developed, built, the way the system is in Chabad Hasidus or in the talks of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. They're very, very structured as one thought. Um, I had... I didn't have the energy today. Maybe post fast, maybe post, uh, you know, going through Tisha B'av, which is not my favorite day, especially if Mashiach didn't come, at least not yet. So, um, energy draining, but we're going to continue on with a storm. So what I want to do today is a different type of a class, a little bit more in the style of the class that I should be giving every week, but, you know, a little frustrating that it fizzled out. I should really get back to it because I really love this type of class. It's the class that I used to give called for a while. We were doing it, Holy Teachings, in which I would just teach from the various different teachers, masters of Hasidus, the broader world of Hasidism, and uh, which generally their Torah thoughts, their ideas – came in short, poignant, if you might say, potent teachings, as opposed to the elaborate, you know, very, very, very structured teachings of Chabad Hasidism. And uh, it's very rich, very rich, um, especially these days when all the books have been printed and, and so many of them in such a beautiful man and such a very clear print. It used to be hard. They were very scarce, these books. Now they've been done such a good job. So it's easier to learn them, to teach them, to explore them. And it creates a little bit of a refresher in the sense that it's giving us a little bit of a different perspective. So I'd like to share some very beautiful ideas. And I was thinking, like, you know, which part of the Parsha? This Parsha's Veschanon is such a rich Parsha. We can do the Pasuk of Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel. Love God, your your God, with all your heart. You can do the Ten Commandments. Instead, I got stuck, not stuck. I planted my attention on the first verse of the Parsha. Talking about Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer. And here I'll share with you. So maybe it, not every thought will connect to the next thought. Let's call this a class of nuggets. Some really, 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 really special nuggets for mostly pertaining to prayer. Because we're going to study about Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer and the lessons we can learn from him. See, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed and sadly his prayer was not accepted. Or so it seems like. Moshe prays, the opening of this week's Torah portion opens up with Moshe Rabbeinu praying and asking God, Please let me in, asking Hashem, please let me into the land of Israel. Moshe really wanted to go into the land of Israel. He wanted it so much that he prayed 
515 prayers, <clears throat> the numeric value, the Midrash tells us that the numeric value of the word ve'eschanan is 515. Teaching us that Moshe prayed 515 prayers. We spoke a lot about it in the previous years. What's the significance of the number 515? Moshe prayed 515 prayers. And yet God told him, no, sorry. Not only that, Hashem said to them, don't talk to me anymore. Ravlach. Enough for you. Don't speak to me more in this matter. So it seems like Hashem shut down Moshe. And Moshe says, what can I do? God shut me down and I couldn't pray. So it's a little bit of a painful story. Moshe's prayer goes unanswered. We're going to see later if if, if that is so. If Moshe's prayer is really unanswered or not. And what does this say about our prayers? But before we do that, let's just read the Pasuk. The Pasuk reads a little funny, and therefore it calls for commentary. And the, the verse says, V'eschanan el Hashem, I pleaded with God, Be'esahi, at that time, Lamar saying, and then he goes on to say what his plea was, Atachiloisa, you began, Lahares Avdacha, to show your servant, Skadlacha, your greatness, and your great, uh, and your mighty arm, that it, Ashemik, what's the word over there? I don't have a chumash. But all this, all these books that I have open over here, a chumash I didn't bring. So give me one second. I'm going to get a Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I thought it said. Who is a God in heaven and earth that can do oh, wrong way, that can do as your actions and your deeds. And therefore I'm asking you please allow me to cross over and let me see the land. The good land the other side of the Jordan this good mountain and the Lebanon. So Rashi tells us already over here, the, 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 the gist of it is, he says, I was pleading with God, and what? And he gave the content of his play, prayer. He says, I said to God, you began showing me your might, your strength, who is like you in heaven and earth, please let me cross over and see the land. What does it mean you began? So, Rashi gives a more simple explanation. I was not supposed to be going into the land of Israel. But for some reason, you didn't stop me when we passed through the initial the initial borders. Because the Jewish people conquered the lands of Sichon and Og, which were like added additions to the land of Israel. And Hashem didn't stop Moshe from entering into those territories. So Moshe is saying, since I see that you're not stopping me, and I thought that I'm going to go, go. Yesterday I was at Trader Joe's and I did some shopping. It was the Tisha B'av. I had to buy some. Uh, so yeah, I took a wagon. And I was the parking lot Sunday is very packed. So I took a wagon and I parked, um, but I I parked in the front of the, on the street. 
So when I, and I had some heavy water bottles. So when I walked out, I, I thought I got such good parking, but then when I got there, they have these things that you, you can't pass. They don't want anybody um, walking away with the wagons. So it doesn't go as soon as you get, and it's, it's, it's like funny because there's some kind of a mechanism there. doesn't seem like there's anything electric there. And yet it literally is on the street and you can't push the wheels any further. Like, like locks right at the edge. So Moshe Rabbeinu thought that God would lock his feet down as soon as he got to the edge. But the fact that he, ex- he expected that to happen, but it didn't happen. And he was able to walk past the first initial border. So he says to Hashem, I thought because of that, that kind of, you know, there's wiggle room over here. You're going to let me in. So I figured I prayed, let me go all the way in. But God said, no, only until here. That's the simple meaning of what he's saying. Rashi gives another interpretation. But what we're really going to talk about today, and again, I'm not trying to explain this verse from the simple meaning. We want to get into a little bit into just, you know, some inspiration over here. Okay. There's not going, I'm not, we're not trying to understand this on the literal or even like pshat or even Hasidic pshat. We're going more into like just teachings about prayer. So the question over here is what, what is it saying when it says, I, I pleaded with God and what does he emphasize be'esahi at that time? What's the emphasis of be'esahi at that time? What is he emphasizing at that time? Okay, on the simple meaning, I'll tell you what Rashi says. Rashi says, since I already, be'esahi means, when did I start pleading? When I saw that I was able to cross the first border. Before that, I wouldn't even have asked. But when I saw be'esahi at that time, after the wars of Sichon and Og, the two Amorite kings, and therefore I got close to the land of Israel, I, at that time, that encouraged me to pray. That's one, obviously, that's Rashi's interpretation. But we're going back to the question, what does Be'esahi mean? The other thing is, what is the meaning of the word Lamor to say? Usually, whenever it says in the Torah, Lamor to say, it means to repeat to someone else. So when God speaks to Moshe and he says to him, by David Hashem on Moshe, Lamor means that God spoke to Moshe, that Moshe should say something. Because Moshe is supposed to bring this commandment to the Jewish people. But over here, when Moshe is praying, Lamor, who is it supposed to be said to? It's not supposed to be said to anybody. Lamor, Lamor, um, this is Moshe's prayer to God. No one is going to say this. Moshe is saying it. So what is the meaning of Lamar? Rashi is bothered by this as well. It's an obvious question. And Rashi tells us that the Lamar means that Moshe said to God, answer me. Notice I'm not going to let you just make believe I'm not praying. You know, tell me yeah or no. You got to answer me. So Moshe was, Moshe was like pushing God to the corner. <laughs> it's hard to say that, but that's what he was saying. He's saying no. And Rashi says there were three times that Moshe insisted that God answer him. And answering him doesn't mean fulfilling his, his request. But answer me if you're going to fulfill my request or not. This was the Elamar, according to Rashi. Um, but let's see some other very 
interesting teachings in these two, mainly these two questions. What is the be'esahi? What does it mean at that time? And what is the emphasis on the lemur? Which means saying. What is this? What is the meaning of saying? So there is a teaching from, I'm going to go through a series of teaching from Hasidic masters. We're going to begin with a teaching from the Mezritcha Magid, that's the, that's the second Hasidic master in the line, Rebdov Ber of Mezritch. Uh, his teaching is very cryptic. And he doesn't have much explanation, just a little, a little, a little tidbit, a little thought. And then he had a student whose name was the um, Rebvolf, Rebvelvel of Jetamer, who wrote a very, very fundamental Hasidic work called Sefer Oyer HaMeir. So he seems to be saying his own pirush, his own interpretation on the Ba'esahi Lamar, but he uses... He seems to be inspired by the by his teachers, the Magid's teaching. So it makes the Magid's teaching it's hard to say that that's what the Magid meant, because it seems like he's saying his own thing, the his student. But um, it at least fills the gaps in the teaching of the Magid that makes the Magid's Mazucha Magid's teaching over here a little bit more understandable. And again, it doesn't seem like the Urameir is saying it as a pirish in the Magid but he's definitely basing it on his teacher's thought. The Maggit says as follows. It's brought in Sefer Or Torah from the Maggit. Where is that Sefer? Where is that book? I have it over here. The Maggit says a very, very fascinating thing. God created the world on the premise of three entities. The world is made up of three entities. There's time and space. Those are two. Olam, in the the, um, terminology of the book of Yetzirah, the book of creation, very important book, there is the world is based on three things, which spell the word smoke in Hebrew, ashan. Ashan stands for Ayin. The letter Ayin is Oilam. The Shin from the word Ashan is um, Shana. And the Nun from the word Ashan is Nefesh. Olam Shana Nefesh. And what is the meaning of Olam Shana Nefesh? Olam is space. Shana is time. Kashana means years. Repetition, which is time. And then there is nefesh, means those who, the conscious beings who are living within time and space. The inhabitants of time and space. So that's, that is all of existence is divided in these, in these three entities. Oilam, Shana, Nefesh. Now, time, nefesh, I'll put it this way, the nefesh, the souls, are the ones who are supposed to serve God and add the content to the space and to time. That means space and time need to be given meaning and significance through the person, through the being, whether it's angels or whatever being. 
the primary the primary content givers to time and space is the human being so the human being has been charged with the mission to fill space with godly content which means to utilize every every um, inch of space to be in the service of God and to utilize every moment, every section of time. Now he's not talking about for whatever reason in this Torah, in this teaching, he's not talking about space. He's talking about time. The 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 people are supposed to, he calls it decorate time. Time itself is only like a vessel. And we are given, we're, whenever we're given a moment of time, we're given a vessel and we need to pour content into it. And when we pour content into the time, which means we utilize the time for the service of God, and every moment of time has its own unique service. So when we utilize time with, a, with, with, with the service of Hashem, then we decorate the time and the time can rise in front of God, that section of time, and and beautify itself with the goodness that was done in its time. So the days themselves line up and the days have to present to Hashem He's talking about the units of time primarily as days. And the days themselves will stand before God and pride themselves with their decorations. How they were decorated. And what decorates the day when the day was utilized by righteous people doing good things. And that's the Magid says an amazing interpretation in a pasuk in a verse in Tehillim the verse in Psalm says day to day Yabia flows Omer sayings that's a verse that we say it every Shabbos in the morning during prayer we say We say yoim la yoim, day to day. Day to day, yabia oimer. Now we have proof that Yataka coming. <laughs> Till now I wasn't sure, but now we have proof. Yeah. So yoim la yoim, day to day, yabia oimer. What does that mean? On the deeper meaning. Yoim, every day, this is what the Ms. Richard Maggit says. Yoim, every single day, liyoim, to all the other days, yabia, it expresses, oimer, is from the word, it's, it's beauty. It means the days like to show off to each other. Every day likes to get into the middle and do a little dance and show its beauty. Now, what made the day beautiful? The good, the deeds that were done in this day allows the day it's almost like let's look at it like the days are like like brides 
And that's the way it really is, because time is associated with malchut, and malchus is kingship, and malchus is the bride, the kala, time. Every day is a piece of the bride, and the bride wants to adorn herself with a beautiful gown, and wear ornaments, and look beautiful. And every bride wants to be the most beautiful bride. Every day, and that's what the Maggot says, days, and, and, and in front of who does each day present itself? In front of every other day. It's like a contest. The days have to like stand and stand up and have something beautiful. But the days don't have anything of their own. Time itself is empty. The time itself is only a vessel that we should be able to do something special in it. And when we fill the time with spiritual content and with godly content, then we decorated the day. And then the day is full of pride. And then the day can kind of show off. The word Oimer comes from the word, um, as Richard Maggit says, the word Oimer comes from the word, uh, where's the word over here? It brings it over here. Sorry. Mashmoy, the meaning is here, every day makes itself beautiful for the other day. Loimer. Saying, these are the mitzvahs that, Jew, that the Jewish people have done. Look how many mitzvahs and how much Torah, look how much has been, has been done in, in this particular moment of time. And that's why, so the Mizritcher Magid says, let me get out the Torah of the Magid, I'm sorry. Okay. And that's the meaning, he says. But the Magad said is very cryptic. It comes more into explanation in the in the Sefer Ur Hamoir, which explains that it seems like the Torah of the Magad. The Magad says, and that's the meaning of the words, Bo'esahu Lamer. What does that mean? At that time saying. So the word Lomer, Lamer is the same word as the word Oimer from the word Yom Neom Yabia Oimer. Now Oimer means to to make to beautify yourself. Where do you have that? Hashem he'emarta, Hashem he'emircha. You have you boast yourself. Hashem made you beautiful. So shahazman hu mispoer boy. So ve'eschanan al Hashem ve'eisachi leimar. So what Moshe Rabbeinu was saying that through his prayer that he prayed to God ve'eisachi leimar that that time ve'eisachi. That that time, Lamar, the time itself, that that piece of time, we're soon going to see. Again, I have to excuse the idea that the Magid is very hard to understand. He's in general very cryptic. I will add explanation to that in a minute, but I wanted to give you first the pure teaching of the Magid. So in the teaching of the Magid, there isn't much. The Magad just brings the concept of Yom Le Yom Yabia Oimer, the time time itself praises itself every day, beautifies itself with our good deeds. And he says that's the meaning that Ba'esahi, that, that that time, that the time itself, Lamar came to a state of beautification. Ki Oimer Uloshin his spiders. And he continues, and this is a very great right. And it says, interesting idea. 
The Pasuk says it will be, it will, it's not a verse over here, it's a verse elsewhere. It says, it says, it will be a considered righteousness to us. Kinishmar, when we will guard Lasis to do. What is the meaning over here? Why is it a tzedakah? God is saying. So usually it means it will be considered as a righteous when you will do all the mitzvot. But there's a deeper meaning over here. There's one thing to do mitzvahs. There's another thing to await for the time of a mitzvah. Because we know certain mitzvahs have a certain time. You can't put on tefillin at night. You have to wait for the tefillin until the morning. So the people, you know, every few minutes they keep on pushing off the tefillin. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. It's enough time. But then there's someone who's sitting and waiting. He can't wait. All year he waits for Hanukkah. He should be able to light the menorah. All year he waits for Purim. He should be able to read the Megillah. All year he's waiting for Pesach. For the time to come, he can eat the matzah. And and what's so great about that? That's called tzedakah. You're doing tzedakah. Why? Because the time is poor. Time doesn't have anything. And you have to add, you have to pour into it something. So when you're doing tzedakah with the time, you're giving the time something to be proud of. I will say something very interesting. This concept that time waits, that we should add content to it, is in a very, very general way. Um, you have the moments in the year, like Shabbos, and you have the holidays, and you have the section of day and night, like uh, afternoon time is time for Mincha. So that, so you can be waiting from morning, you can be waiting, when can I already David Mincha? And then, don't tell anybody I David Mincha very late. Okay. And when Mincha comes the Mairev time, um, you wait all time to Davin Mairev, to Davin the evening service. So, but then there's something else. The Oyer HaMoyer says it, again, as I mentioned, Reb Velvel of, um, of Jetomer. He doesn't say it here, he says it by Pesach. In his, in, on a discourse on Pesach. So he says, oh, they're so beautiful. He says that, 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 that really it's not just, you know, every, the real, the real character and chemistry of time, every time is uniquely blended and crafted to be able to serve God in a unique way that fits that particular time. Like, for example, we just had Tisheva and we had the nine days. How do we serve God in the nine days? We long. Now, we're supposed to long for Hashem and long for the Beis Amigdash all year long. But when do we long for Hashem more than any other time? In the nine days. Because we're longing, because we feel the absence of the light. Okay? In the month of El is a time of and It's a time of accounting. It's a time of taking stock. You know? Hanukkah is the time of perseverance, the feeling of victory, light. You know, each, each holiday. So time, it's not just general time. It's literally every moment of time. And those who are sensitive are sensitive to unique qualities of every hour. So with this, I will share with you something really amazing. You know, in the, in the, in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Fabrengans, amazing. If you look at all of his talks, the Rebbe would sit down by every Shabbos or by every time he would talk, and he would spend usually the first half an hour of the Fabrengan, a half an hour of talking, about explaining all the different elements of time that have come together to create this particular moment we're in right now. Because it could, it could have been that it would have been that this date would have been on a different day of the week, but it happens to be that these, these ideas come together 
and they create a certain blend with a certain energy and he would learn out. That's how we do, every Fabrengan would start with that. He would learn out unique, unique power. He would derive a unique opportunity that we have now. It's almost like every time was the most special time because this was like a unique opportunity that created all these elements come together. It's very unique. And this is teaching you in, that to serve Hashem right now has to be in this particular manner. That's very nuanced, very nuanced. And if you think about it, I never thought of it this way. And the Rebbe would always quote what the Zohar says, Kol yoyma v'yoyma every day, avid avidete. Every day is, is its unique work. But here you can see this concept. The tzaddik, the righteous individual, doesn't just see time as a just one long, empty, you know, uh, 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 you know, expanse. Every moment is so colorful. Every moment is so unique. But here's the thing. The time has, has nothing to it unless we, the nefesh, nefesh, the souls, have to add the content to the time. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Be'esayi Lamar. He made that that time should be able to boast. That's, that's the teaching of the Magid. Problem is, not the problem, what does it have to do with Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer? Hashem, he prayed to God. Okay, it's a, it's, it's a concept that stands on its own. That Ba'esahi, that that time, which time? Any time you can talk about. Any time is that time, lay more, that it should be able to boast. It should be able to be proud of itself. It should be decorated. It should be so beautiful. So the student of the Magid, the Urhamoyer, as I'm saying, Reb Wolf of Zhitomer, connects it to the concept of Moshe's prayer. And it gives us a very powerful lesson. And he says like this. He says, a lot of times you find yourself in a situation. He asks the question first on Moshe. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu spent 515 prayers. Now, let's say a prayer for Moshe probably took him at least 15 minutes, a half an hour. Moshe is giving a prayer. A prayer is a significant you know, effort. It wasn't like Moshe just said 515 words. 515 individual prayers, whether it was 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, an hour. I don't know how long Moshe spent in each one of these prayers, how long it was. In the end, God didn't fulfill his prayer. So that, that's very upsetting. But, and it's almost like, did Moshe waste his time? The, Moshe, and more than that, the question is on Moshe, that Moshe is wasting. At the end, it was wasted. Because it didn't, it didn't achieve what it needed to achieve. It, there was a point to it. Moshe wanted to, to go into the land of Israel. In the end, God told him no. So Moshe did not achieve it. If he didn't achieve it, he wasted his time in all these prayers. And the question is on two ends, he says. Number one, Moshe. How can it be that all of that went to waste from Moshe, Moshe's energies, but also time? The time itself could have been used for something else. Moshe could have taught more Torah. He could have, I don't know, done other things. If you're praying and the prayer goes empty and it doesn't fulfill its purpose, so what have you done? So the time, it was those moments that have not been utilized the way they should be utilized. And his answer is, 
And he says it to each and every one of us. What happens when we pray and pray and sometimes we don't get the answer? And sometimes we feel that we wasted so much spiritual energy, emotional energy, especially real prayer can be very draining. And if you pray and you don't get answered or at least a visible answer, you prayed for someone that was ill and the person passed away, a relative, God forbid, or someone, a friend or something, and it almost feels like you prayed and prayed and it was to no avail. So he brings this teaching from his Rebbe, the Magid. And he says, no, 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 no. When you're praying, you're, 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 you're adorning time. You are decorating time. Because the prayer itself is, while you're praying, you're connecting your mind to God. And you're recognizing Hashem's mercy, kindness. You're focusing on God's greatness. You're conscious of God. You're filling yourself with godly awareness. You're bringing holiness around into the environment. And primarily, you're filling the time with holiness. Holy words. Holy words literally light up time. So those moments are the brightest moments. And he actually adds even another thought. Because every time you're praying, if you're really into prayer, the way it works is that the neshama, you know, we, we, we not always control our soul. You know, we can pray and just say the words, but then there is the, you know, we, we open up prayer and suddenly something comes out. And like we're, our thoughts like go somewhere. And, 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 if, and, 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 and when we tune into prayer, it's always another type of a, of, of a feeling that comes out. It's not the same. And it's like a certain like, it's a certain thought of getting close to God. And sometimes it's really cute how we come up with all kinds of interesting ways of like how we're getting close to God right now, like different than the moment before or any other time. And we like kind of like we hit a brick wall and then we figured how oh, we were able to sneak in like this or get in like that. I don't know how it is, but I feel that way many times. It's like, oh, like you come up with this argument and you come up with that argument and you come up with this argument. You know, you argue away with God, which are, which are cool thoughts and they're real. If it's coming from a real place, I'm not talking about playing shtick, but being real. And it, it comes out. And all of that are, are so precious because you're revealing, you know, new nuances in your relationship with Hashem, your new nuances and feelings towards Him. All He says, all those tachbulais, all those, I don't know who uses the words tachbulais, all those methods and so on and so forth, which a person is using, each and every one of them is unique. And it adores, the, it adorns time, it decorates the time. And therefore, he says here this amazing teaching. Oh, by the way, he says the, the sages say, "What does it mean the word chashmal?" You know, there's a, a in the in the in chariot. When Ezekiel sees the chariot, there is this chashmal he sees. In, in Hebrew, chashmal means electricity. And the sages say, "What is chashmal?" Chashmal says it's this type of Angels, it's an angelic entity, which sometimes they're silent and sometimes they talk. Chash mal comes from two words. Chash means silent and mal means talk. So it's referring to the angels. At times they're praising God. They're full of, sometimes they're silent. When are they silent? When God is talking, they're silent. 
And when are they noisy when God is, when Hashem is not talking, then they can sing God's praises. Chashmal, this is the thing. But he says, no, 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 Chashmal is referring to time itself. Itim chashois, itim memalalois. There are times that are silent and there are times that speak. The times that are silent are referring to moments of time that have nothing to boast with. When in the world, no one did really anything magnificent and beautiful in that moment of time. So that moment of time sits bashfully and ashamed and can't talk. Can't go out into the dance and reveal her beauty to all their other moments of time because no one really did anything that special in that moment. And those are the silent moments, the sad, silent, bashful moments. And then there are the, the incredible moments that are full of glory, full of glittering light because of the mitzvah that this one did and the unique thought that this one did and the most emotion, an emotional, beautiful prayer that this person said and this and this and the kindness that this person did, like all the various different things that... Oh, he says, notwithstanding, see, Mama should happen on the camera that it went, the time suddenly backed out. It like just, <laughs> Mama, that even though it was Be'e even though it was a time of prayer by Moshe Rabbeinu, which it seems to be the most unsuccessful time in Moshe's life. Usually when Moshe prays, God answers him always. He got forgiveness for the Jewish people all the time. He always got his, Moshe's prayers are so powerful. So even though there is a time over here that what? Where Moshe seems to be experiencing failure in his spiritual life. It's not working. God prevented him. There's walls. He can't break through the walls. He can't get through. So it's almost like a wasted experience. So the Pasuk is saying, God forbid. Moshe says, I daven to God. And even though I daven 515 prayers, you shouldn't think that because I daven 500, I prayed 515 prayers, it went to waste. No, 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 no. That time for those 515 prayers, maybe it was 515 hours or whatever it was, the, 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 that entire time was beautified. With Moshe's prayers, the times, these moments of prayer, every single of those moments was so majestic because in that half an hour, Moshe prayed. In that day, Moshe prayed. So Be'esahi, those days, Lamar were beautiful. Were, were, were. So now we understand its connection. It's not just a teaching about Be'esahi Lamar to illuminate time. It's even on the down moments when we think we're not breaking through because maybe we didn't achieve something. We didn't get the result. The prayer itself is you had an impact, an enormous impact on time itself. A time is now beautified in front of God. That time of the prayer, even if it wasn't answered. That's the Pirish, as I mentioned to you from the Mizritcher Magad. Now I wanted to share with you a teaching from, as I told you, that the class today is going to be different than the other classes in that we're going to give you nuggets of thoughts 
So here's an enormous, another amazing teaching. This one from the Kedushas Levi. Okay, when we're talking about Hasidic masters. So the great and saintly Reb Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev is going to teach us something amazing on these words. Remember I said the question, the Eisachi at that time, Lamar saying. So first he says, Moshe is davening. Moshe is davening. What does it mean that he daven Tashem? At that time, Lamar saying, as we asked the question, what does the word Lamar, what does the word Lamar come to, to tell you? Lamar seems to be completely, because usually Lamar means to give over to someone else, but he's davening now. What is Lamar? No, no, no. So Rabbi Yitzhak Barditchev says, you got to daven that you should be able to daven. You have to pray. Before you pray, you have to pray that you should be able to pray. There is a prayer that you pray so that you can pray. You can't just pray. You got to pray before you pray so you should be able to pray. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu did. At that time, what did I do? I prayed to God. Eschanon means I prayed. Lamar that I should be able to talk. So that I should be able to say the, the next the next prayer. Because prayer requires pre-prayer to be able to pray. A person shouldn't think that you can just pray because you're praying. You need God's assistance in opening your mouth. Like we say by Shemona Esrei. Before we start saying Shemona Esrei, we should probably pay attention to that verse. Hashem Safasai Tiftach, God, you open my mouth. My mouth should be able to say your praise. So we need Hashem's help to be able to pray. What's the emphasis on Ba'esahi at that time? So Rebbe Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev continues in the next piece. First, he says just a very general idea. We pray that Hashem should help us pray. But then he continues and he says as follows. Sages tell us that how do you know if your prayers are being answered. So there was one of the great sages, his name was Rabbi, Rabbi um, Hanina Bendosa. He was a great, great mystic. And he was a very, very, very saintly individual. Even amongst the sages, you know, there were sages that were incredibly scholarly. And then there were those who, whose main power was prayer. They were very, very holy. Rabbi Hanina Bendosa is one of these individuals. So he was the one that you always went to when you needed a prayer. To annul negative decrees or things like that. He's the one who made one, once made a, no, that's Chani Amagel. That was a different one. But um, in any case, so when they came to Hanina Bendosa, um, and whenever, they, he would always tell them when they would come to him to pray for an ill person, he would say who would live and who would die. And they said, what are you, a prophet? I'm going to say he really was a prophet. But in his humility, he said, no, 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 I'm not a prophet. He says, the reason I know is because when I started praying for this individual, if the prayer would flow from my mouth very easily, then I would know that God is assisting my prayer and it's going to, that it's being, it's it's registering. If I'm, I'm having a hard time praying, 
you know, the words are not flowing, it's getting stuck, I'm, 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 I'm tripping on my words, and so on and so forth. And that's a sign that the prayer is not, is not okay. And then he would say, you know, you know, I'm not telling you to give up, but don't rely on my prayer. That's what he would say. So Moshe Rabbeinu, whenever he prayed, it was the whole, it, Moshe had no problems with his prayers. Moshe always hit the mark when he prayed. But this time Moshe Rabbeinu tried 115 times. And he was hitting a, five, sorry, 515 times. And he was hitting a brick wall every time he tried. So that's why over here, Moshe needed, like says, no, Moshe, so, so at that moment, so what does Moshe do when he feels stuck? You give up? The idea is as follows. Sometimes you open up the sitter, you open up the prayer book, and your heart melts, and the prayer is flowing, and it's really going well. That's great. And there are times when you encounter a clogged heart. Times when you you encounter, like you feel like you're, you're just, it's not working. You feel like the words are hollow. They're empty. They're not connecting. So what do you do? You learn from Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu all his life didn't have to pray that he should be able to pray. Because every time he prayed, it was, it was, it was flowing more, even more so. Moshe's mouth wasn't his mouth. Moshe was such a conduit to God that whenever he spoke, it was God speaking through him. The Shechina speaks. The Shechina literally is speaking through Moshe's mouth. So when Moshe is praying, it's like God is praying. Actually, the Talmud says in Masech Brachas that God too prays. When Moshe is praying, his prayer is the Shechina's prayer. The, the prayers of the Shechina is, we learned in Hasidus, we learned the whole discourse, that the real prayer that a person should pray is that you become the vocal cords for the Shechina. Shir Hashirim, the song of songs. You're not singing, it's being, the words are being sung through you. You're like the cosmic energy of song is sweeping through you. You're, ju- you're joining through the soul of all of creation and you're just like swept up in that song. That's a, that's a high level. Moshe was at the peaks of those levels of prayer. But even Moshe had a dark day. Even Moshe had a time when Moshe started, when Moshe started to pray and it wasn't working. It was ringing hollow. And he tried once. And he tried twice, and he tried three times, and four times. He didn't give up. 515 times, it didn't go. So what did he do? The Eschanon, after he prayed, after he prayed, that's the way I understand what he's saying. After he prayed 515 times, and it wasn't going, so what did he do? The Eschanon el Hashem lemar. So now he daven to Hashem, so God should help him pray. You don't give up. Now you humble yourself before God and say, I'm trying. I can't crank, I can't crank it up on my own. It's like you ever get your situation, your battery doesn't crank up. So you need a call for a you need a call for a uh for a, a, a boost. You need cables. So Moshe is saying, And that's why he says, Levi says, says something very special. He says. There is a law when it comes to prayer that we're not supposed to make any interruption between the blessings of the Shema, which is, talks about the redemption of the Jewish people, and the, the Amidah, the Shema Esrei, the, the blessings, the 18 blessings. And I want to make an interruption. So, but yet we say 
which means you're supposed to say, Barachat Hashem, Goel Yisrael, like Rashachris. Hashem is the redeemer of the Jewish people. Immediately you're supposed to start Shemona Esra. But the sages say, hold it. We, we insert an extra verse over there. We say the Pasuk, Hashem Safasai Tiftach, God opened my mouth. That's not part of the prayer. What's it doing there? So the Talmud says, since the rabbis instituted it, it's like part of the prayer. It's like a it's it's not considered an interruption. It's like the prayer already begins with those words. In other words, when we pray, the first blessing begins with Barachat Hashem, but it's not really starting with that. It's really starting with a verse before that. Hashem is already considered prayer. That's what the Gemara says. It's a long prayer. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak says, what do you mean? What's, what's the word? If the sage is instituted, then it is prayer. So what does it mean? It's like a long prayer. It is prayer because who instituted the prayers? The sages. So if they added this, if this, so this, this is part of prayer. Why don't you ask the question on Barachat Hashem? Because what's that? That's an interrupt. You should ask the question. It's an interruption. The answer is it's not an interrupt. This is the first prayer. So Hashem Tiftach is the first prayer too. So then the prayer really begins over there. What do you mean it's it's like a long prayer? So he says, no, no, no. Who instituted prayer? The men of the great ensemble, assembly, Anshiknesa Sagdola. These were the 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 Ezra Asofer, the, the Ezra the scribe who built the second temple. He was the one who was his based in, his his court was the one instituted the 18 blessings. They did not put the Pasuk Hashem Sfasei Tiftach there. And you know why? Because in their generations, they didn't have this problem. In their generations, the people were so t- fine-tuned. People were on such a high level that the moment they, 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 they said they're going to pray, they were able to immediately tune in. So their prayers were able to connect immediately. They did not. But in the later generations, when kind of the, the, the consciousness was falling, people were becoming more affected by the world, by the darkness of the world, they realize that you can't pray. You first have to pray to pray. You have to say a prayer to God should assist you should be able to pray. In other words, we need cables every day. And that verse, Hashem that's the meaning. It is not part of the prayer. But because the rabbis instituted it, the later rabbis instituted it, and therefore, Hashem the Ebrister gives us God, gives us assistance. And it's a prayer that we should be able to pray. So whenever prayer isn't going, you can pray to pray. And that's what Moshe did at this time. He prayed to pray. So I saw that the, this is a teaching from the Kedusha Slavi. So I saw that the Belzer Rebbe, Rabbi Yeshua of Belz, the second Belzer Rebbe, says the same thought, same idea, but he adds just some really nice little something to it. Says, the Midrash on, on this verse, the Midrash says, um, Abishol Omer, Abishol says, this is a sign for prayer. And what's the sign? What do you learn out from the words, Hashem what's the sign of prayer? If a person prepared his heart for prayer, he should be promised that his prayer will be heard. 
So again, what does Abishol say? From the Pasuk Veschanan al Hashem Ve'esahi, that Moshe is praying, Abishol says, this is a sign that if a person put his mind to it and, 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 and focused his heart in prayer, you promised that your prayer were going to be heard. And he brings a Pasuk, Shanemar, Tachin Libam, prepare their hearts, Takshiv your ears will listen. So simply it means if you prepare your hearts, if a person prays with their heart, with their thought, with their mind, then what? Takshiv Hashem will for sure listen. It's a promise that God will listen. He asks two very powerful questions. Number one, the eschanan al Hashem is a sign that when you put your heart to it, God will listen. You're you're assured, you're promised that God will listen. It's the exact opposite. Moshe Rabbeinu is describing to you how he failed in his prayer. Moshe prayed a five hundred. Moses, imagine Moses failed when he prayed. Davin's five hundred and fifteen prayers. Okay, we said earlier he accomplished something. He affected time and everything, but the prayer itself was not answered. Right? God shut him down. Or refused the request. So how do Abishol say from here we learn out that what? That in Liba, if you if you if you um focus your heart, then Muftachas, you're promised that Hashem will answer your prayer. In addition to that, what's the verse that we learn it out from? Tochen Libam, it's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Prepare their hearts, Takshivaznecha, your heart. Your your ears your ears will listen. He says, "Well, if you read that pasuk, it doesn't say anywhere that if you prepare your heart, God will listen." King David, it's all part of King David's prayer. David Amelech is davening, tachin libam, prepare their hearts, takshivaznecha, your ears should listen. Doesn't say anywhere over here a the words are not are not stated as a fact that God will listen. It's part of King David's prayer that Hashem should listen. So where do you have the promise? Where do you learn it out that a person is guaranteed that God will listen? So his explanation is as follows. The same idea like we said from Rebbe Yitzchak or He says, let me read it inside. It comes times. When a Yid comes to Davin, when a person comes to pray, so to sing songs before God. Sometimes you find your heart is hoping for God. You find a cooperative heart. And you find a yearning in your heart. Like we find in the Gemara. The Gemara says a, 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 a phrase. We should wake up and we should find that our heart is yearning. Well, the pa'amim, however, there are times, yeah, you can't open your mouth. You can't find in yourself anything. Hear this, beautiful words. But this too is in the hands of God. In other words, this, whether your heart opens or whether your heart doesn't open, that too is God's key. In other words, don't think you're the only one who has keys to your heart. God also has keys to your heart. So if you're trying to crank your heart open, it's not opening. So what do you do? 
pray that you should be able to pray. Close your siddur. Your siddur is already the prayer. Close your siddur and start talking to God. Say, God, I want to daven, but I can't daven. So help me daven. Just like you need a daven for everything. You have to daven to Hashem. That you should be able to daven before God. And that's the meaning he says. Doesn't mean if you had intentions in prayer. It seems the simple, the simple meaning of the Medrash is if you had intentions in prayer, if you prayed with Kavana, God will answer. No, 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 no. The meaning over here is if you prayed, if you didn't just start praying, but you prayed before you prayed that you should be able to pray, that's the meaning. In Kivan Liba, if you intended your heart, if you daven that you should be able to daven, you're promised that your prayers are ringing up somewhere. Why? So we bring a proof. What's the proof? The proof is because someone can argue, if my heart is clogged, that's my issue. Can't ask God to unclog my heart. That's my problem. He's the king. I got to come before him and ask my request. So which do you ever go to a king and ask the king to help you ask your request? No, that's your business. You get your request ready and come before the king. It doesn't make any sense. So one can argue, say, I can't, I can't get God's assistance that I should be able to pray. That's, and more than that, it says one thing is not in the hands of God, and that's your own fear of God, your own heart. That, that's where God left to your department, to you. So we bring a, we, for that he brings a verse. The Pasuk says, Tachin libam, we're praying to God that Hashem should prepare our hearts. Tachin libam, prepare their hearts. It's King David's prayer. It's David HaMelech, Davening Tashem, Tachin libam, prepare their hearts. So you see from here, that the preparation of the heart is also Hashem's business. So daven to Hashem to prepare your heart. That's the meaning he says of back to the here. That's why Abishol derives it from our, from our. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu is when he, he's not proving from here that you're always going to get what you're asking for. That's not what he's doing. He's proving from here that you can pray to be able to pray. And that's what it says in this passage. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw his prayer wasn't going, he prayed to Hashem that Hashem should help him pray. And that's the meaning. What does it mean? On that time when Moshe was feeling stuck, Moshe davin to Hashem, Moses davin to Hashem, that he should be able to daven, that he should be able to say, should be able to pray his prayer. Very special. Rabbi Yitzchak of Barditchev and the Belga Rebbe. Now I want to share with you a teaching from the Aptarov. Aptarov is Reb. The Aptarov was Rabbi Avram at Yeshua Heschel, one of the great Hasidic masters. He's buried in. He was. He was. He was actually. Uh, the Rebbe in Mezhebush itself, after the Balshemtov passed away, a little while later, he's buried there in Mezhebush next to the Holy Balshemtov. His teachings are really, really special. And um, 
he explains that Moshe Rabbeinu was davening, Moshe Rabbeinu was praying. What again? He's on those words. At that time, saying, and he has his own twist on it. But it just shows you where the minds and the hearts of these tzaddikim were. He's looking at what Moshe was praying for when it says at that time Lamar saying. And here's the here's the thought. Okay. After this, I want to come back to another interpretation by the Bardich, Rebbe Yitzhak Bardich, very special, but let's do this first. Remind me, we have to come back to one more teaching. Basically, what Moshe Rabbeinu was davening at that time was for Mashiach. That was the prayer. Was the prayer for why, why is Moshe saying I was praying? Moshe's prayer was for the Giyula, for Mashiach. We'll soon see the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe learns out from here how we should not stop hammering for Mashiach. Like Moshe said, I prayed 515 times, but we're going to get that. I want to save that for last. But why is it, what's the connection to Mashiach? So first of all, we know, what was Moshe praying for? That he should be able to go into the land of Israel. We know had Moshe gone into the land of Israel, then the base, the temple would never have been destroyed. Because Moshe, Moshe is the power of eternity. Sages say Moshe is compared to the sun. The face of Moshe was as bright as the sun. And the face of Yeshua was as bright as the moon. The moon is temporary. The moon's light waxes and wanes. The sun is permanent. The sun never changes. Sometimes it's cloudy. That's because that's not because the sun is changing. That's because they're, to us it's being blocked. But the sun is always above the clouds. It's always sunny. Sun is unchanging. If Moshe would have gone into into the land of Israel and brought the divine presence down on the temple, on the base of Mingdash, it would have been a permanent temple. For whatever reason, it couldn't happen at that time. We're still going to see. So when Moshe was praying to go into the land of Israel, he was really praying for Mashiach to come, for this to be already the final, the final Geula. Now, one of the things that are going to happen when Mashiach comes, that is going to be very unique, is that we are going to be allowed to pronounce God's name the way it is written. Hashem's name the Tetragrammaton, the Yutke Vavke, we are not allowed to say the way it's written. We pronounce Hashem's name as if it was written with another name, which is the name of Aleph Dalid Nun Yud. When we say Baruch Atah, we don't say out the four-letter name of God. It is absolutely forbidden. We, in a class, I can't even say the way we pronounce it. But we say, Adoi, da 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 noi, right? That's what we say. Um, the the but that's that's a different name of God. Aleph Dalit Nun Yud. Yud K Vavke is not allowed to be pronounced. But that's only in our days. When Mashiach will come, the the name of God will be pronounced the way it is written. Why is that? 
So the Oy of Yisrael, the Aptarav, the, the, this great rabbi explains that as long as evil exists within the world, as long as there's negative forces within the world, if we would pronounce God's name as is, we would be giving enormous power to the other side. They would have access to a level of the divine that in a sense would give them permanence and everlasting existence. It's similar to the concept that after Adam ate from the tree of knowledge, he wasn't allowed to go eat from the tree of life. You would wonder if Adam Adam is going to die because he ate the poison from the tree of knowledge. And there's another tree there, which is a tree of life. Let him go run and eat from the tree of life. Quite on the contrary, because now he ate from the tree of knowledge, let him eat from the tree of life and he would live forever. That would be good, would be a remedy. The problem is, once he eats from the tree of knowledge, he was hacked by the klipa. And as he took in venom, the snake went into him. If he would now go eat from the tree of life, he would be giving the venom that went inside of him, the klipa, the unholy. They would now, these germs that he got into him, would now have access to the tree of life and he would give the unholy permanence and eternal life. Uh, and God God doesn't want that, God forbid. The unholiness has to, has to evaporate. The spirit of impurity has to be removed from the earth. It has to end. So for that reason, and that's another reason why today's days we're not allowed to say the four-letter name of God. It gives enormous strength to the unholy. So what happens? We camouflage it. We say it with another. But in the days of Mashiach, once the power, spirit of impurity is already gone, so then we, when we are going to pray, whenever we're going to say Yudke Vavke, which is Hashem's name, we're going to say it out literally in its full pronunciation. That's the meaning of what Moshe was davening. That El Hashem Lamar. That at that time, in the time of Moshe already, Lamar, we should be able to say what? El Hashem. We should be able to say Yudkevavkin. I Davin. You're supposed to put the comma after the word Veschanon. Veschanon, not I Davin to God. Veschanon. And I prayed. What did I pray? El Hashem, that, I, that, that the Yud Kevavke, the Tetragrammaton, but Esayi, already at that time, Lamar, let us be able to say it already. In other words, why is there so much concealment that we can't reveal your name? Let us be able to say your name already. God, put an end to the, to the darkness. So your name should be able to be pronounced the way it is. Or maybe you can read it further. That's the, the next words, Hashem Elohim, which is Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud, and the second word is Yud, Ke, that Aleph, Dalet, Nun, Yud should already become, Havaya should become pronounced as Yud, Ke, Vavke. Hashem, Elohim, Atachid, those are the next two words. That is emphasizing this idea. Same, same thought. You see how, the, how the, 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 the righteous look at, these, at, at the verses and they read 3D. The same thought says the, again, the, the first Belzer Rebbe as well. Moshe Davin, 515 prayers. 
And what was the 515 prayers? He was davening for Mashiach. And then Hashem's name should be read like it's read. El Hashem be'esahi lemar. That Hashem, right? That's the idea. From the first Belzareb, Rav Shalom of Bells, and the Aptarov. Now, let us go back a moment to Rav Levi Yitzhak of Radichev. Similar to the same same concept as Be'esahi means already at that time. He was requesting that there should be something happening already at that time. So he, he reads out this. He says, really, then another interpretation. What's the meaning of the word lamar? Saying. So usually he says, whenever, you know, whatever happens is always for the good. There's nothing that ever happens in the world that's bad. And the reason for that is because God is everything. And since God is everything, so everything that God does is good. So everything is good. It's just the things that are good in a way that we see its goodness from the get-go. And there are certain things that we find out next week that what happened last week was the best thing that could ever could have happened to me. Sometimes we find out in a year, sometimes in 10 years, sometimes we find out after Mashiach comes. Why? What we thought was the worst curse in our life was really the best blessing. But everything is always good. It has to be good because God is running the show 100% of the time. People have bad attentions. doesn't mean that people can't do evil. People are doing evil, but in as much as anybody else is concerned, we once gave a whole more than one class about this, and as much as I'm concerned, even if you perpetrated evil, that doesn't mean that what happened to me is evil. Because everything that happens that God does to me, not you. So he, the person could have chosen something bad. That's a, that's that's their choice that they're doing that they're choosing bad. But that's not what the occurrence itself is always good and always will be good. But many times we have to wait a lifetime to find out. Moshe was davening; he didn't want that. Like we should pray. We're supposed to pray to Hashem. Give me a good that I can see. It's good. And even though you're such a, even though you have good intentions and you're probably thinking that you're making me such a better good, and we know, we always admit that you, you, you have a much better plan. But God, this, this, is the way, this is the way you're supposed to do this, is the trick. <laughs> you're not playing, but it's really real. You can say to God always as follows. I know you have much greater grandeur plans for me. And therefore you're putting me through so and so and so, and it's going to come out something good. Instead of giving me an easy good, you're giving me a much greater, harder good. But since you're omnipotent and you can do anything and you can do even what is actually totally impossible, so you can give me the greater good in a way that it's good already now. You know why? Because you can't say that God can't do something. Now, that means like this. The moment something happened to me, I have to admit that what? And I have to accept whatever God did is good. A person should never, God forbid, rebel. A person has to always accept that what happened is good. But that's regarding a second ago. What's regarding the next second we're supposed to ask, it's a mitzvah in prayer to ask God to make it good for us in a way that we can see it's good. 
and not and by doing that not jeopardizing the ultimate good god can do both he can give us the ultimate good and make us see it's good immediately and that's what moshe was saying i pleaded with god but that already at at that time already at this moment lamar i should see your love he says the word lamar means love what does lamar mean love lamar means saying the Pasik says, Hashem hayoyim, Hashem which means Hashem loved you today and you loved God. So the word Amer, Amircha, also has a meaning of love. So Rabbi Levi Yitzhak says, I Hashem, that at that time Moshe is saying, I want it immediately, Lamar, it should be good. Now, in that interpretation that Lamar means love, with the Hasidic interpretation that the word Lamar means love, Let's share a teaching from the great seer of Lublin, the Chayza from Lublin. The Chayza from Lublin, the seer of Lublin, was one of the great, greatest Hasidic masters in Poland. His yard site was just celebrated this past Shabbos. He passed away because he gave his life up in the pursuit to twist God's arm to bring Mashiach. Him and three other Great Sadiqim put their foot down and they said they're not going to step out before Mashiach comes. Sadly, they were, the Chayza was thrown out from the window. The satanic force, there's no one, there was no person there. Threw him out from an upstairs floor on Simcha's Torah. All his bones were crushed. It was like a horrible story. He knew that the forces of unholy, because since he was battling with the forces, he wanted to clean the world from the dark forces. A little too early, they came after him. That happened on Simchas Torah. He, he remained ill till Tisha B'av, and he passed away on Tisha B'av. Any case, very, very, very great. He was called a seer because he can see across the world. He was known to work. He can see. Gave the gave the askam and the chayzer from Oblin on on Lakuta Maran, right? Anyways. Um, the Holy Chayza from Lublin says an interesting thing. The Gemara makes terrible, the Talmud makes terrible predictions about what's going to happen right before Mashiach comes. How lowly the generation is going to be. And what, you know, spiritual deprived state the world is going to be. And one of the things it says about the generation of Mashiach, it says, in the end of days, those who fear sin are going to be, are going to be, um, what? People are going to be disgusted by them. If you're a God-fearing person, and you have a little bit godliness still in you, and you fear your creator, people are going to look at you like you're, you can see already today, you know, people who recognize that people shun them, they're shunned. You know, you're not, you're not progressive enough. Religious people all over the world are scorned, laughed at. 
It's a simple meaning, and that's what it says. It's going to happen right before Mashiach comes. On the simple level, it's trying to say how ungodly the world will be right before the redemption. But Hasidism always saw the positive and the negative. So the Chayza from Lublin said, I heard a teaching from the great and holy saintly Reb Zusha. Who's Reb Zusha? Reb Zusha of Anapali. The Chayza from Lublin was a student of the Rebbe Lamelech of Lezensk. Rebbe Lamelech of Lezensk and Rebbe Zusha were two holy brothers, the fathers of the Hasidic movement. The big, big Rebbe was Rebbe Lamelech. Rebbe Zusha was more in the, in the shadows, but he was like... Anyways, Rebbe Zusha explained, what does it mean those who fear God will be, will be disgusted? It means a positive thing. He says, before Mashiach comes, right before the Giyula, people will want to be in a loving relationship with God. And people will not like religion that's based on just fear and constriction and like, you know, like, uh, not that we, that, that people won't, God forbid, keep the Torah, but they won't like, they won't appreciate religion that's very much threatening and fear of sin and fear of punishment, as opposed to people searching with a yearning to feel close to God. And that's a very good sign. Again, this is not to, God forbid, dismiss the place of fear in in Judaism. It's one of the 613 commandments and one of the fundamentals and the foundation of, of Judaism to have awe and fear of God. Before Mashiach comes, he says, love will dominate much more in the, in the, in the world of people that are pursuing a, re- a connection to Hashem. We'll seek him. In a sense, you can say that's the whole Hasidic movement. It ratcheted, it turned up the love much more than, than it used to. It used to be very, very fear. And Hasidism brought back the song and the energy and the sense of closeness to God and the love and the so forth into the into Judaism. And that's the meaning he says. And the, the days before Mashiach, um, the fear of God is going to be rejected for the good. And so, the, so the, based on that, the seer of Lublin translate this verse as follows. That Moshe Rabbeinu prayed already for this generation. Be'esahi, in that time, what's that time? Which time is it referring to? Our time. This is very special. Moshe is praying for the Jews today. Be'esahi is referring to moments before Mashiach comes. And what's the prayer? Lamar. He was praying for love. He was praying that the dominating experience in our in our in, in the Jewish people should be love. We should come back to God not out of fear, out of love. That was Moshe Rabbeinu's prayer back then. He has a very beautiful interpretation of an, another verse based on this, which in that verse he implies that the Mashiach will come when this will happen, when Jews will turn. The energy from fear to love, that's going to herald in the time, the coming of Mashiach.
Okay, so I'm going to conclude now with, oh, I still have to teach you one solid before I get to the final teaching. It's good you came when you came or else I would have had another 30 teachings. <laughs> I do want to teach, share with you an amazing teaching. Not so much explaining the words Be'esahi and Lamar, but the concept of the 515 prayers. Why Moshe prayed 515 prayers? What's the number? This is so cool. <laughs> Again, from the Belzer Rebbe. The, the Belzer Rebbe's yard site, this is Rabbi Aaron of Bells, his, 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 his yard site is coming up the 21st day of Av. Um, very, very saintly man. Um, went through the Holocaust, managed to make it, was rescued, managed to make it to to Israel, and was there for about 10 years. He was literally an angel and um, passed away then. He lived in, in Tel Aviv. Then, you know, the Bells dynasty is really big, but this was the last Bells Rebbe. But he said this in the name of his grandfather. The significance of why Moshe prayed 515 prayers. We know that there is a temple that is in heaven and there is a temple down here on earth. And when Mashiach comes, the physical temple down here on earth is going to be a facilitator for the temple in heaven that's going to come down. The spiritual temple is built through prayer. And who built it? So we know we build it through all of our prayers, but the primary structure was built as follows. Was built from, for a building has what? Four walls and a roof. That's the main, that's the main structure of a building. Four walls and a roof. And it came, so therefore the four walls and the, and the roof came through five prayers. Whose prayers? So the first one to pray is Hashem. The Talmud The Talmud tells us The Talmud tells us Shalom Aleichem, sit down The Talmud tells us Yeah No, not for me, no, no, but you can, you can have it. The Talmud tells us that um, Hashem prays The Talmud tells us that the Ebershter prays, God prays When Hashem prayed, when God prays, angels are created. All prayers create angels. A camp of angels, a whole camp of angels were created. The camp of, now in in Hebrew, a a camp, a camp is called a machane. A machane is a camp. When Hashem prayed, he created a machane, a camp, and again, he doesn't explain that much, but he says that machane, that camp, formed the wall, a wall of angels, a wall of spiritual celestial beings, which is part of the temple. I guess the temple has to be made up of creation, because within the creation comes down to reside Hashem. So, what is the spiritual temple made out of? The spiritual temple is made out of is made out of malachim. It's made out of angels. So when Hashem prayed, he created one machne. Now the word machne in Hebrew 
is the numeric value of 103. Okay, machane because it's mem and known as 90. Aches and a hey is 13. So it's 103. God prays, there is one wall. It's a machane. Who is the second one to pray? Abraham, Avram Avinu prayed. When Avram Avinu prayed, he created a second machane. So now if you have 103 and 103, what do you have? 206. Sages tell us that Avram Avinu called the Beis Amigdash Har. He called the, the Beis Amigdash the name that Avram Avinu gave, that our father Abraham gave to the, to the temple. He called it mountain, Har. Har is the numeric value of 205. 205 with, in, in Gematria, in the world of Gematria, we know you can always add the word itself. So 205 is really 206, which is two times Machanen. Because he had already one wall built by Hashem's prayer, and the second wall was built by... Now, why did Hashem build the first one? Because Hashem has to initiate everything. If Hashem, if Hashem doesn't begin, nothing can happen. So God builds one wall. Avram built the second wall. So it's, it's, and that's why Avram called the Beit Samigdash Har, because he only had two walls. Wait. Yitzchak comes and he prays, Mincha. And he built and he created another camp of angels, and that camp of angels created the third world, a, a, a wall. It's a third machane. It's another hundred and three. Three times hundred and three, three oh nine. What did Yitzchak call the Beis Hamikdash? Yitzchak called it Sadeh. Sadeh, a field. That's what it says. Abraham called it Har. Har. Yitzchak Isaac called it Sadeh. Sadeh is 309. 309 is three times 103. These are the three walls. Yitzchak calls it Sadeh because Yitzchak has three walls. One built by Hashem, one built by his father, and one built by him. Three times Machne is 309. It's really wild, this teaching. Comes Yaakov and he adds the fourth prayer. When Yaakov added the fourth prayer, you add another 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 wall, the fourth wall, and another hundred and three is Gematria four hundred and twelve. A hundred and three, three oh three oh nine plus a hundred, four oh nine plus three, four twelve. Yaakov called the base on English bias, because now you two things. Bias is four twelve. Tough yud base, four twelve. And it's already a bias because it's four walls. But it's lacking the roof. So Moshe Rabbeinu Davin's 515 prayers, Gematria Veschanan. Because when Moshe prayed his prayer, he added the last camp. 412 plus 103. 515. So Moshe topped it off with the roof. So now you have the entire Beis Amigdash was built through the prayers of Hashem, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, and Moshe. Moshe's prayer, the Eschanon, 515. So now you have the Beis Amigdash built. So that's now, so now Moshe says to Hashem as follows, right after the Eschanon, what does he say? He says, Hashem Elohim, Hashem I got, you began showing me the heavenly temple. I saw your greatness. I'm seeing this awesome temple up there. 
But now I want you to take me over the Yarden because I want to see Yesahara Tov, the mountain, the Halavanon and the Lebanon, which is referring to the temple. I want to see the physical one. In other words, we finished already building it up there. If we finished it up there, let's just bring it down, down here. I want to see it already anchored down because the work up there has been done already. Now we just got to pull it back down and establish it over here on top of the mountain. That was very special. Now to conclude, I want to say something. Everybody takes it for granted that when Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, don't daven anymore, Moshe Rabbeinu was quiet because Hashem told him not to daven. So I have a teaching from a sefer called Eidoyim Basadeh. And this is, no, not this one, sorry. Where is it? The Kure Aviv. It's good. I got all these new Hasidic books over here. I never, I never heard of him before. I got his sefer. Yaakov Arya Miradzmin. He was a student of the Chayza from Lublin that we mentioned earlier, and he says something very special. And then I'm going to show you. <laughs> I'm going to show you who else says this. This is really, really cool. Remember, we said. The word lamar in the Pasuk seems to be superfluous. I prayed to God at that time, Lamar saying. So who's saying? It's a prayer. What is the word Lamar about to say? The Medrash learns out from the word Lamar that this comes to teach us. This comes to teach you. The word Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching you for future generations, the Medrash says. When you have, when, whenever you're in trouble, you should pray. The Medrash says amazing words. Even though God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, don't cross the Jordan. Hashem said, you won't, and Moshe continued davening. In other words, it wasn't just a decree. Usually a person is in trouble. It means, it means something is coming at you. There's something negative. And what happens is we freeze in fear. Something negative, God forbid, you found out a financial stress is suddenly coming upon you. Found out, God forbid, you got a negative report from the doctor. Some other scary thing happening. You get very frightened. So the medicine say, no, you should pray. What do you do? That's exactly a then you dominate. And never, and you know what the HRO says, nah. It's already, you know, you see, the, 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 the decree was made already. And you deserve it and whatever because of all your, all your sins and stuff like that. that. That's where he gets us because if a person can overcome that and stand like a firm lion and fight it, you can win and you will win. So the Medrash says, well, you see from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just see a decree. You know, he didn't see giants not letting him come. He heard from God himself who told him, you will not cross the Jordan. You heard it from the Abishter. He has no question if there was a decree. There was a decree. Hashem said it then. How, how do we know there's a decree? We don't know there's a decree. We can assume there's a decree because we're watching certain things. By us, it's possible that Hashem never made a decree. He's just scaring us a little bit because he wants you to pray. But by Moshe's case, it wasn't God scaring him. It was a clear decree. Hashem told him. Yet what did Moshe do? He davened. And from here, the Medrash, that's what the word lamer comes to teach. 
Lamar that you should pray. What? Lamar to Lamar to teach you. The Lamar that we should learn from Moshe that you're supposed to pray when you have a negative, when you have a, 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 even against the decree. So he asks the question, hold it. How can you learn from here that you're supposed to pray even when there's a decree? When Moshe tried doing that, guess what Hashem does? Hashem shuts him up. Hashem says, Do not speak to me anymore about this. So it's clear that Hashem does not like when we pester him when he makes a decree. He doesn't want us to be a lunatic. God doesn't want it. God says accept it. That's what it would seem like. Because you see from Moshe, it's not just that Moshe describes what happened. Moshe said, I tried to push God's buttons and, and like get in there. And God told me, stop. Don't you mention it again. So this should have been the opposite lesson. That when you're up against the decree, bite the bullet. Swallow it. So he says, no, no, no. I hear these words. Yesh lefarish, hear these words. Vadai mutter You're definitely allowed to push for holiness. Hear these words. Like the world says, If you've been thrown out ten times, you've been asked to leave ten times, guess what? You were kicked out ten times, try another time. You'll get in. Eventually you'll get in. Don't stop. You think they kicked you out 10 times already. It's like, you know, it's finished. No, no, come back. Come back 11. 11 is just a number. Come back endless. If you sinned. Let's say you're being blocked from heaven. You can push yourself back in. Be stubborn. Stick your foot in the door and don't, get, and don't let them kick you out. You're not going out. Then you should continue davening. You should serve. You should pray. You continue crying in front of Hashem. God will have mercy on you. Because God is a merciful one. And hear these words. So definitely without a question, Moshe Rabbeinu. That Moshe Davin. I love this when I saw this because I'll show you. Even though Hashem told him, don't, don't continue. You hear that? Awesome. It was worth the whole share just for that line. Definitely. God told him quiet. And Moshe definitely did not stop dominating. Moshe could not bear the thought that he's not going to go into the holy. He wanted the holiness. He wanted to go into the land of Israel. God told him, stop. No, Moshe. Moshe persisted. Oh, but in our case, in the end, God got Moshe to stop. But God pulled a nasty trick on him. <laughs> and we'll see why. You see, he says like this. In Moshe's case, it was cosmic that Moshe could not enter Eretz Yisrael. Not because Hashem was punishing him. Not because Hashem, no. Hashem needed him to stay in the desert. The reason Hashem needed him to stay in this desert because Moshe's Hasidim were in the desert. These were his, these were his, 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 his flock. A shepherd never leaves his flock. 
His entire generation perished in the desert. Moshe could not leave the Jewish people in the desert behind. He has to be with his people. And Moshe is going to come into Eretz Yisrael. But he will come in eventually when his people are ready. When the generation of the Midbar is ready to come into Eretz Yisrael, in the days of Mashiach, they're going to be resurrected, that whole generation. All the Jews who died, all those Jews who perished in the desert because of the sin of the spies, all those Jews are going to be resurrected. They're going to come in together with Moshe back into Eretz Yisrael. When the time comes, they're all coming back. But Moshe needed to stay there. But, but Moshe so badly wants to come. So God knows that it's more important for Moshe to stay behind, according to his teaching. Soon I'll teach you another teaching, but according to his teaching, Moshe felt his desire to go into Eretz Yisrael, so in the land of Israel, so, so desperately. But God needed Moshe to be there. So therefore, God had to stop Moshe. And how did he stop him? He knew that prayer, God knows that prayer will always work. How is he going to stop him? So Rashi says what Hashem said to Moshe. Hashem said to Moshe, stop, stop, stop. Why stop? He says, because people shouldn't say how stubborn is the teacher. I'm sorry. How, how, how cold is the teacher? And how stubborn is the student? In other words, Hashem is saying the optics don't look good over there. If you're praying and praying and praying and I'm not giving in to your prayer, this is really, really going to look bad for me. It's going to seem like I'm very cruel. And it goes against, I've taught in the Torah that I'm a compassionate being. And compassionate means that if you pray to me, I will answer you. And I will have mercy on you. Rashi says this. And if you're going to continue praying and I'm not going to answer you, because we said earlier in this case, there was a cosmic reason why you couldn't come in. And therefore, it's just going to end up doing what? It's going to end up causing a a desecration of God's name. God is going to look very, very, very what? God, it's going to contradict Hashem's 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 um, character of kindness and of mercy. So therefore, Hashem says, "You're praying, and the end is going to." Oh, so Hashem told Moshe, "Here's the thing." Hashem dropped. Hashem dropped a nasty one on Moshe. Basically, you know what he said to him? He said, your prayer is going to end up being a sin. When you tell Moshe that he's sinning, Moshe, the words he uses, Moshe ran away like fire. Moshe can't do a sin. If Hashem told him that your prayer is now sinful, Moshe had to stop implying that had Hashem not said this, just based on the rules of the game that God says stop praying, it's not a sin to continue. <laughs> that itself he doesn't say is the sin. In this particular case, because it would be a desecration of Hashem's name, that Moshe is davening and, Moshe is, and, and God is not answering him, because as we said earlier, Moshe could not be answered because his generation needed to stay there at least for the time being, and Moshe had to be with them. So based on this, he says, now we can understand how we can... How even though Moshe was told to stop, the Midrash still learns out, the Midrash still learns out from here that in, in our cases we're supposed to pray. Because, you see, if we pray and pray and pray and pray and don't, and don't give up, even if God delays the answer, it doesn't cause a chilol Hashem, it doesn't cause a desecration of God's name. Because if, if God doesn't answer us, it doesn't mean, God forbid, that God is cruel. 
when a regular person prays, we can people will say that what that the person wasn't worthy. Maybe they weren't praying from their full heart. Maybe they were insincere. Maybe their prayer was lacking love and fear. You're supposed to pray with love and fear. So in our case, he says, by ordinary people, there is no sin in praying, 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 and never stopping to pray, not stopping to bang down the doors of heaven. Because by us, it doesn't cause, by Moshe, who's perfect, no one can say Moshe didn't pray with a full heart. No one can say there was a defect in Moshe or there was a defect. So who's going to be, who are they going to lay, lay the blame on? If Moshe, who's perfect in his prayer, his prayer is not being answered, it's going to land squarely on God's lap. Hashem, where's your kindness? You got a person, he's a perfect, perfect tzaddik, he's davening. But he says, a regular person. So therefore he says, for us, we learn out from here. From this very place, we learn out that you never, ever, ever take no for an answer. You you have all the right. This is what he says. Why did I get so excited? Because a week ago, I saw this in the, in the Lubavitcher Rebbe's talk. The Rebbe learns out an amazing, an amazing thing from Moshe from Bezchana. And he says how, he says, this prayer of Moshe Rabbeinu teaches the Jewish people something. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu was davening for Mashiach, as I told you earlier. Moshe, because if Moshe would go into Eretz Yisrael, what would happen? His tie, his, the, the Beis Amish would never have been destroyed. Never. So Moshe was davening for the Giyuli. He was davening for Mashiach. And that's why he davened 515 prayers. But hear these words, the Rebbe says. He says it in Yiddish. Nochmer, more. Even after was even after God said to him, Don't daven to me anymore, don't speak to me about this anymore. I liked it. So he is a sophic of them It's a very big question of Moshe if Moshe if Moshe listened. So what I saw over here, the Rebbe says, it's a question. The Rebbe says, I don't believe Moshe stopped davening. Moshe continued. Why? It was nice to see that it says, I thought that only the Rebbe said this, only the Lubavitcher Rebbe said this, but I see it in the, that there is a source in an older Sefer where he says that Moshe didn't. But he says, and the reason why, because there is a cloud, there is a rule. The, the Gemara says in the Sech that when you are hosted by somebody, I don't know if this is such a good advice to say publicly online, but I have to, it's part of the teaching, so I'm going to have to say it. If you are hosted by someone, you're supposed to listen to whatever the host requests of you. Besides one thing, if the host asks you to leave, you don't have to leave. If they tell you to leave, you don't have to leave. Everything else you have to listen. Sit there. Yeah, you know, you have to be a good, good guest. But if they tell you out, you don't have to. How does this apply in trespassing rules? <laughs> you're going to get in trouble with the police. I don't know. I'm not making any recommendations over here. I'm just telling you what the Talmud says, that everything the owner tells you to do, you got to obey, except for leave. And therefore, he says, who is the ultimate owner? Hashem is the Balabayas. And if Hashem tells you leave, you don't have to. You have to obey God on everything, unless if God tells you leave. Because you are allowed to cleave and to beg and to connect and to connect and never leave.
And therefore he says, is mistabers, especially, he says, since this was the prayer from Mashiach, as Moshe had nefesh given. Moshe was, gave his life up, and he continued to ask and to request to go into Eretz Yisrael. But what I found so sensitive, you know what he says right afterwards? But the problem is, if Moshe would have gotten, if Moshe would have gotten his request listened to, one person would have gotten hurt. Who? You think of? Who is the one person that would have maybe been a little bit hurt? Who? No? <laughs> Yeshua. Because the Abish already pointed Yeshua as the next leader. So if Moshe is now dominant, so the Rebbe in the sensitivity says, together with the prayer, it's simple. It should wasn't his prayer was not in a way. Oh, let me go in in a way. I'll be, I'll stay there. No, then Moshe would have figured it out already to keep Yeshua like in his honorable position in a way that it shouldn't hurt another yid. Just so sensitive. Yeshua Benun, because the Abish already said him to go into Eretz Yisrael. So how he would figure it out, I don't know. But Moshe had that sensitivity. He davened. Now. But in the end, he says exactly also the same line that it says over here. This is also very powerful. And so even if now Moshe, since Moshe is Moshe and he's all powerful, for sure Moshe could have gotten what he wanted. Moshe, if had he had he wanted to go into Eretz Yisrael, he would have gotten it. But in the end, he didn't. You know why? Is so in the end, Moshe conceded. But why did Moshe concede? Same thought that he says. But over here, he seems to blame it on God. That God made him concede. Here, it seems that Moshe himself recognized that. And what is that? Is Since Moshe was a true Jewish shepherd. In Yiddish, it's such beautiful. In an emissary Rebbe. Moshe was a real Rebbe. A Rebbe doesn't let his Hasidim stay behind. A real teacher doesn't do that. A real teacher doesn't run away leaving his people behind. So an emes, an emes a true teacher of Torah to the Jewish people, he will not go out of exile leaving the Jewish people behind him. So, so that doesn't mean that Moshe's not, tefillah is not, is not going to be answered. Moshe's prayer is still in the skies, burrowing through. Moshe is still davening for Mashiach. And when he's going to come in, and then he's going to come in, he's going to come in with all the Jewish people. Even with his generation. Everybody's going to come in. What's the lesson to us, he says? The lesson to us is that even if we daven for Mashiach already, and even if we daven for Mashiach already, and even if you're feeling burnout, which we all feel, we had this most amazing prayer last week. It was a global prayer. And I poured my heart out. People prayed from such a deep place. And we're so sure we're diving all together for Mashiach, for sure Mashiach will come. And it doesn't happen. So what happens? You feel very dejected. And the teaching over here is that you don't give up. Again and again and again and again. In the end, we break through. It's, it's about personal geula. It's in your personal matters. And it's about, obviously, the great redemption, which is the most important thing on the burner right now. Stubborn, 
Nachamol and Nachamol and Nachamol again and again and again. In the end, we prevail. So these are the thoughts and ideas on the tefillah of Esahi and on Lamer. I had some another thought over here, another teaching. The 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 Bnei Yisachar has something really beautiful here, but not for now. Um, we still have to learn this pasuk next year or another time and figure out some more, some more insights and thoughts. But the Torah is really endless, and every word of it has so much lesson and so much to learn, so much to teach. May we merit already that all prayers of the Jewish people should be answered, and we should see it, see it in our own eyes. All prayer. And the Geula should be here ready now. Chaim. Allah